Pick up, listen, act. What do you do when God asks you to do something difficult? Wake up, listen, act. What do you do when God asks you to do something impossible? Wake up, listen, act. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Even changing ourselves? Even changing the world. Wake up, listen, act. And in all of this, we worship God. One of the ways we are equipped to wake up, listen, and act is to ground ourselves in prayer. So trusting that God's Spirit is moving, please join us in the prayer of the day. Insistent God, by night and day, you summon your slumbering people. So stir us with your voice and enlighten our lives with your grace, that we give ourselves fully to Christ's call to mission and ministry. Amen. Good morning, young Christians. 
Today, we're talking about a story in the Bible about a child named Samuel. In Samuel's time, priests, which are kind of like pastors, would live in the temple, which is kind of like a church building. And Samuel lived in the temple with a priest named Eli, who cared for him like he was his son. Can you imagine living at the church building? What about sleeping in the sanctuary? Well, that's kind of what it was like for Samuel. He slept in the temple. Let's use our imaginations. Do you have a pillow close by? Or maybe you have a blanket? So take your pillow and your blanket and just get nice and snuggled up and imagine that you are sleeping at the church building in the sanctuary. Imagine you're like Samuel who is sleeping in the temple. All of a sudden, Samuel heard a voice. And do you know what the voice said? It said, Samuel, Samuel. And guess what? Samuel thought that it must have been Eli calling him, the priest, right? So he got up and he went to Eli and he said, Eli, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't go back to sleep. So Samuel went back, snuggled up and went back to sleep. And then he heard the voice. He heard his name being called again, Samuel, Samuel. And so again, Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, Eli, you called me again. I heard you calling my voice. And Eli said, that wasn't me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Well, it happened again. And finally, Eli said, you know what, Samuel? I think it might be God who's calling you. So the next time you hear your name, you should say, speak, Lord for your servant is listening. So Samuel went back and got back into bed and sure enough, he heard that voice again saying, Samuel, Samuel. And this time Samuel did just as Eli had said and said to the voice to God, speak Lord, for your servant is listening. And God gave Samuel a message, an important message to give to Eli. But the message that God gave to Samuel was not an easy message to share. God was not happy with Eli and there were going to be consequences. But Samuel was brave and he gave the message that God asked him to give. And God kept on speaking to Samuel and giving him new messages to share. We call Samuel a prophet because he was called to speak God's truth to powerful people. Isn't it amazing that God would call a child to be a prophet? That God would call a child to speak truth to power? Tomorrow we're celebrating another prophet called by God to speak truth to power. Do you know who that is? That's right, Martin Luther King Jr. Martin was called by God too but not quite in the same way as Samuel. He didn't hear a voice calling his name. Instead, he talked about an inner urging, a desire to serve God and humanity. 
At first, he thought that maybe that meant he should be a doctor. And then he thought maybe it means he should be a lawyer. And finally, he realized that God was calling him to be a minister, a pastor in the church. But God also called him to speak out about the things that were happening around him, about people being hurt and left out because of the color of their skin. These messages were not easy for Martin to give. They made people very upset because people don't usually like to change their ways, especially when they have lots of power. But Martin was brave and he spoke God's messages. How do you think God is calling you? There are lots of different ways that God speaks to us. It could be an inner urging like Martin felt or a voice like Samuel heard. God speaks to us through God's word in the scriptures. God speaks through pastors and other people too. God can speak through you. You might think, well, who am I for God to speak through me? You might think, I never really heard God speak. Well, guess what? Samuel hadn't heard God speak either. It was his very first time. But the most important thing is that he was willing to listen and serve the Lord. God is calling all of us to serve God and humanity. Can you think of some ways that you can serve others this week? If you're not sure what to do, that's okay. Just keep listening with your ears, looking around with your eyes to see where help is needed and listening with your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for calling Samuel when he was just a child. Thank you for calling Martin Luther King Jr. too. And thank you for calling each of us to serve you and others. Help us to listen. Help us to be brave. Help us to do what you call us to do. Amen. This morning we turn to the Old Testament for the scripture lesson, listening to the story of God's call to Samuel, taken from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up 
and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Gentle and patient. God, you are calling. Careful and persistent. God, you are calling. In grieving and in praise. God, you are calling. To dawn and midday. God, you are calling. Unexpected and planned. God, you are calling. In a still small voice and in power. God, you are calling. Spontaneous and prepared. God, you are calling. Willing or protected. God, you are calling. Our God is eager to share with us wherever we are in our journey. May we be diligent to listen. God, you are calling. God, you are calling. God, you are calling.
Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the ultimate measure of man, I suspect he might have used the term human if he were alive today. The ultimate measure is not where one stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where one stands at times of challenge and controversy. We are living in such times. Challenge and controversy seem to be the very air we breathe, the ground upon which we walk, the space in which we live. Each day as the sun rises, we make choices that reveal what we are made of, what we are committed to and how we'll be in the world. It is a time that invites us to pause before we move, to listen before we speak so that we might respond from our best selves, our most grounded and centered selves. The story of Samuel that Paul read a few moments ago reminds us that God wakes us up, calling us by name. The story of Samuel reminds us that we are called to respond by listening. As United Methodists, we do that by studying scripture, but in conversation and interplay with tradition that the church teaches, uh, with reason, the working of our brain and our own personal experience of the world, knowing that it is in the intersection of head and heart and wrestling with others in community that we best discern how God is speaking and to what God is calling us towards. Then, then we act. We live out our lives as those sent by God to carry a message. And for us, it's Christ's message to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbors as ourselves. And as Methodists, we do that by seeking to do no harm, to do good, and to stay in love with God. This morning, as we consider what God is waking us to, to what we need to be listening, and what actions we might be engaged in, I have invited Aaron Hawkins to share with us today. Aaron served the church as the General Secretary of the General Commission of Religion and Race for the United Methodist Church for 12 years and last September came home to the annual conference here to become the Executive Director of Connectional Ministries. Aaron, thank you so much for taking time to join me in conversation today. We're so honored to have you among us. My pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation, Pastor Sandy. You know, the scripture lesson today begins with a description of a time that in which God's voice was not heard much and that visions were evidently rare. It seems that the revelation of God was definitely not prevalent then. Do you think that's similar to the time in which we're living now? <laughs> I think the opposite is true. I think that we are in a time um, where the revelation of God is unfolding all around us every day. Um, I think seeing the dis what the disconnection between communities and ourselves and faith and, you know, all of the cynicism and blame and, you know, all the things and injustice that we're experiencing is, is uh, God's revelation, is God holding the mirror up to say, this is what you have become. This is what happens when you lose um, the value of community. Um, when you lose the value of love, of hope, of justice. Um, so I think, you know, the depths of the shadows that get revealed when um, when we cling to the way in which we're disconnected from ourselves and from each other is relevatory. And so um, the this idea that we need an Eli, we need a somebody to show us um, 
You know, I think we're really moving out of that age. We're moving into the age in which it's right in front of us. And we're all kind of, of being issued this call of, you know, how do we how do we respond to the revelation of God? Even in the text, Samuel goes to Eli thinking he's the one calling him, but Eli isn't the one doing the calling. And Eli, in fact, realizes that God is speaking directly to Samuel and tells him to go back to listen. God is waking Samuel up to get his attention, calling him out of his slumber. Well, if we understand that God's revelation is all around us today and that God is speaking to us, to what is God waking us up to in our world, in our time today? Well, one is the pain and suffering that is so prevalent, the isolation. I mean, COVID-19, if that has not uh, taught us something about the the realities of what it means to be isolated from each other. And, you know, it gives us, it it's both sides, right? So the isolation gives us an opportunity to stop and take some time. It's been an interrupter of our, our busyness, you know, and at the same time, it's kept us away from family in many cases and um, kept us away from the types of relationships that bring joy. So, I mean, I think we're waking up to how much we really do need each other and how uh, wholeness and joy and fulfillment and service requires community, you know, and all of it is is a gift that we've taken for granted. So I think that's that's one of the things that we're waking up. I think you know, our continued pursuit of justice uh, in the reality of systemic injustice that has been so historically pervasive and that continues to, um, to dog the human family where we believe that there are, uh, should be haves and have nots. There are people with power and people who have none when we see that um, any instance of, um, of disruption has within it um, seeds of the, the type of injustice that have been wrought in our societies for so many decades, uh, then we're waking up that the work on this is not, is not done. And um, I think the challenge that I'm really uh, experiencing with myself is some of the symbolic methods, some of the symbolic, um, uh, what do I want to say, um, some of the symbolic ways in which we think progress are being made are true and insufficient. So we've got, you know, a vice president who's a woman of color, an important time, a distinction that should not in any way be undermined, and it isn't enough. It isn't enough to bring the type of justice that, um, that really represents uh, who we are as a faith community. So I think that those are just, you know, some examples of, of what we're being woken up to. And it's not just about race, of course, um, it's about all of the intersected oppressions. It's race, it's gender, it's, it's human sexuality, it's identity, it's, it's um, socioeconomic status, it's, you know, all of, all of these things. Now, your comment about uh, President, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris being significant, but also not enough, Maybe we remember that when President Obama was elected, many people thought that we were sort of done with racism because we had elected an African-American as president. So surely racism must be over. We're post-racial, it was the thing, you know, we're in a post-racial America. 
And it's like, I think we could look at what happened on the, you know, in the, in the Capitol last week as an evidence of, of how, how not post-racial we really are and how the country responded post an Obama era or post having this, you know, figural leader um, with such a pendulum swing that the reaction is something is also a wake up call. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also a way of showing the, the mirror of what of the of the deep sense of pain and exclusion that still run within our systems and within our country and the world. You know, you wrote a prophetic call on the day we watched the violence of white supremacy reach a new zenith as the mob broke into the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. You know, in your reflection, you wrote, so perhaps it's time to press the pause button on your, your diversity training and close what is probably the umpteenth book you've read on racism and go within. Do some deep inner excavation work on the parts within you or your community that reflect the things in our society that you most abhor. Create spaces for dialogue and accountability about that. Only then will we find the courage to let go and the faith to let come. You know, as I read that, I can imagine Samuel standing before God and saying, speak, your servant is listening. If we're to do that work on listening, what does that deep inner excavation work look like? To what should we be listening? I would say the the listening is, it, it starts from the, where are we, what is the place within us? So for me, it really is embodied listen, listening. You know, our, our, we, we listen from the head, you know, we, we want to understand things. We want to, we want to crack the code of racism and understand all of the nuances as if in the understanding, somehow the doing will become, um, you know, easy for us to do. Or if we understand automatically, then somehow, you know, we'll be different people. And the reality is that part of um, white privilege, if we look at it from a somatic, from an embodied perspective, from like what it does to our bodies, is that it's all about the head and very less so about the heart and about, you know, the gut, you know, the center, the center of, of our community, of our um, of our bodies. And so um, for me, it's the the taking the listening from um, a focus on I'm listening to understand, to figure it out, to to mental, to do the mental gym, gymnastics that somehow lead me to a better place, to a listening from the heart, you know, and a listening from, you know, my instinctual self, which is very much gets us out of the, I know how to do this. You know, I know what the steps should take. There is no linear set of steps to take. What we're talking about is um, is, is centuries of, of complex historical social relationships that have produced systems that can't easily be dismantled and, and un, undone. And at the heart of it is, are the people. 
And so for me, the listening that the, it's the, the changing of the place within our, our individual bodies, but also our collective bodies, where do we listen from? And the listening from the heart is, it is much more risky than listening from the head, from the intellect, because it means you have to be willing to make the mistakes. You have to be willing to see your part in it. You know, as I look as I look at the some of the the more challenging uh, realities of racism and white supremacy, you know, I have to look at it within myself. I have to look in some ways with my heart to say, okay, so I know that there have been times when I have used my privilege and my power to to make things happen in a way that I think that they should happen. And what is at the root of that? You know, and how do I begin to create accountability for how I use my power? Because we all have it. You know, we all have a sense of agency, of choice, of power that we exercise. And the thoughts that we think, the, the, the actions that we take all contribute to the systems that we're living within. So when I listen from that heart, if I, when I allow my heart to break open for the white supremacists, and I know this is edgy stuff that I'm getting into here. I mean, I, I get it, you know, um, but when I let my heart break open, not to make excuses, not to deny, not to absolve responsibility of people who do hurtful and heinous things in the world, but when I allow my heart to break open for the wounding that causes that sort of um of, of evil to be made manifest in the world, then it sets me on a whole different path than any book could. And it also means that I have to build the kinds of relationships that, um, that will result in me not being a mirror of that same, that same type of, of harm doing in the world. That is the hard stuff of faith, to not other people this week, you know, there have been some very good articles exploring the intersections between white supremacy and Christian nationalism. What they reveal is frightening in many ways, but as I hear you challenging us, I realize how easy it is for us to look at folks who espouse such beliefs, who live out those beliefs with all the horrible impacts they bring, and say, thank God I am not one of them. That what they proclaim is a perversion of the gospel and I deeply believe it is. But by doing them, by making them completely different than we are, we don't look at how we as the mainline church participate in or have those same tendencies of white power, if not white supremacy, within the very bones of our own denomination in our church life together. You know, how do we, Aaron, begin to confront that, saying no, that is not the gospel, but also realizing that the no, that is not the gospel is within us too. I mean, the reality is that we are part of a, a colonial church, that Methodism spread across the land um, and participated in the bloodshed of Native Americans. All of our churches are probably from the most part in, in the US, I'm talking about United Methodist churches in the US, are somewhere on unseated, Native American land, and we don't even have to know who whose land this is. You know, I can I can show up and worship in First Pasadena and have no awareness of how that church 
came to be and how the land was stolen in order that that church could be built in that place and who were the families that were impacted by being removed so that I could be in this beautiful sanctuary. I don't even have to be conscious of it. I don't have to think about it. And I don't have to feel as if in some way being in the, in that, in the spirit of that um, is also my, my part of participating in the colon, in the colonization of, of the, of the United States. And so, you know, I think, you know, yes, um, we see this as ab abhorrent to the Christian faith. And because we're not, we don't have a rebel flag that we're waving, you know, in the Capitol, that somehow that's not us, but we benefit, you know, we benefit and use our resources to continue to uphold um, a system that is based on land theft that was built um, in many ways on um, the backs of, of enslaved persons. You know, many, uh, there was a time in our history where the church split because we had bishops who owned slaves, enslaved persons, and don't think that their labor did not in some way support those bishops so that they could do the work of building the United Methodist, well, what is now the United Methodist Church. So there's a legacy, there's an inheritance of harm that we have simply by saying that we profess ourselves, our faith, and, and have our membership in the United Methodist Church. So I would say, you know, one of the things that we need to become aware of and to really sit with is, so what does it mean for me to be a person who is... Um, a holder of this legacy, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you got to throw the bath, uh, the baby out with the bathwater, but we can be responsible, you know, for what we do with our resources, we can be responsible for how we use our church buildings to give back to some of the very people who have been harmed and excluded, so that, you know, wealth can be bought, you know, and built and that we can have a beautiful places to worship. Um, we can we can think about how um, we we choose to think about leaders and who we listen to and how we're in partnership in relationship with our neighbors and you know there are a whole host of things we can do to kind of decolonize our experience of faith and to um, and to intentionally engage in acts of, of reweaving the fabric of relationship that doesn't require that there have to be winners and losers. Erin, you made me think about the concept of reparations. We generally think about reparations, I think, as a national issue, something that governments do. But as you spoke, I think as a church, as a community, reparations are part of what we are also called to as well. Now, how do we look at our history and begin to make right, to make justice? Well, I don't know if we can really make things right, but how do we at least begin to repair the breach in community? And, and, and how to do that in a way that builds community. That's not just, you know, here, here we are writing a check or doing something out of a perceived sense of guilt, you know, but, you know, when my heart breaks open and when I can, and when I can listen to, you know, my gut is telling me that my circle is too small and the circle of this uh, this church is a little too small. We've got to expand the table a little bit more. And we begin to listen to the revelation of God that is within, you know, whether it's within the church 
body or within my personal body, you know, um, then we begin to take a different type of reparative action. Because not only is it about me trying to repair something for someone else, it's repairing the part of myself that has that is disconnected because I'm holding this legacy and feeling and feeling like there's you know not something that I can do or uh, feeling the you know feeling the harm that has come to me as a result of not being able to be fully in right relationship with my neighbors because I don't know them and I haven't had to know them and you know and so there is a part and 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 to realize that that harms me as much as it harms them. You know, so the the, the reparation becomes um, holistic for everyone. You know, last week I touched on Wesley's understanding of sanctification of a lived faith, underscoring that when we experience grace, we turn outward to the world to live it in the world, sharing grace with others. It's a commitment to living justice and social holiness, making the world right, more merciful, more compassionate, more just. What is your hope for the kinds of ministries and actions in our congregations and across and together as congregations in the annual conference that we might be engaged in that begin to address the realities about which you have spoken today? So, I mean, I, I see so many great examples of churches that are building relationships with communities that are serving in partnerships with others that are meeting the needs of, of so many people. And, you know, I would like to see that uh, increasingly become the centerpiece of our witness and our identity as the California Pacific Annual Conference that we're here to serve not ourselves, not our interests, not, you know, not our little group that gathers together on Sunday, but that the purpose for our little group or big group that, that gathers on Sunday is to be deployed, you know, to be formed and, and in, inspired and deployed for service in the world. Like we exist, the church exists for the transformation of the world. And so um, I, I'm hoping that we can build on the successes where the successful places where that's happening and to build more of a collective vision around, you know, how are we making, um, especially in the era of COVID, in the era of um, Black Lives Matter, in an era within the United Methodist Church where, our um, our embrace of our LGBTQ um, siblings is still incomplete, you know, um, that we can really uh, see um, ourselves as being um, graced by God so that we can we can be a blessing to other people. And, and that might mean that we got to let some things go. That was another thing that, you know, it's going to mean we're going to have to let some things go. Some of our sacred cows, all the things that we want in order to feel good in our churches, but can't sustain and, or, um, you know, are not helping anyone, but, but ourselves, you know, we have to be willing to let some of those things go so that we can more effectively, um, and intentionally serve those who um, who are in need of love, embrace, justice, um, witnessing, um, all of those things. 
Aaron, you have given us much to ponder today, much to listen to and consider as we seek to be faithful in our discipleship. I think you've underscored for us that this work will be done best as we value community and work together. So as we conclude this morning, what closing words would you like to share with the good folks at First Pasadena? The only thing that I would say is um, every day, you know, we're graced with a new beginning. And even in these times where there is such upheaval and uncertainty and things certainly um, uh, seem a bit dismal, <laughs> um, there's always, there's always reason to hope. And um, I think the hope is in that the revelation of God, you know, is, is here, is among us, is unfolding. And you are being called in the midst of it. You know, in that revelation, God is calling you, calling, you know, First Pasadena, calling all of us um, to, to move forward um, and to be the light um, that the world so desperately needs right now. Hush, hush, somebody's calling my name. Hush, somebody's calling my name. Hush, hush, somebody's calling my name. Oh, my Lord, what shall I do? I'm so glad that trouble don't last so Oh, my Lord, oh, my Lord, what shall I do?
Let us pray. O God, as we come to you in prayer this morning, we are mindful of the ways that your holy presence speaks to us in all of life. Give us the openness to hear your call and the clarity of mind to discern your will. As we endeavor to perceive your voice for us individually, also grant us as your church the wisdom to follow your call. Strengthen our witness to this broken world and renew our commitments to one another. We pray for our faithful people everywhere, especially for those who struggle to feel the warmth of your community during this time of quarantine. O oh God, encourage them with your vision for life and use us to share your blessed community with them. Walk alongside our leaders, especially our Bishop Grant and our Superintendent Jim, and hear the prayers lifted today across the district for our sisters and brothers at El Buen Pastor United Methodist Church in Santa Paula and at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Tarzana. God, send your voice of peace and justice to the world's leaders, that they may work to bring about fairness and sharing among the people they lead and between the nations. Keep before us your call to paths of service and caring as we order our common life. We especially pray for our own nation as it struggles with the changing of administrations this week. We pray for Joe Biden and for Kamala Harris as they take up their new responsibilities. And we also pray for Donald Trump and Mike Pence as they enter into the next phase of their lives. Heal our divisions and give us grace to work together, O God. And save us from the temptation to make each other into enemies when we disagree. Our Savior Christ has called us to pray for our enemies and to overcome evil with good. As we seek to follow his way, show us how to be peacemakers, even in this troubled time. God of mercy, we pray for those who suffer in any way, for the lonely and forgotten, for the homeless and the jobless, for the poor and the oppressed. We especially lift before you the ever-growing number whose lives are affected by the coronavirus. O oh God, bring healing and wholeness to all the places it is needed in the world, and assist health care providers especially with your strength and hope. We pray for all among us who are caring for loved ones that are nearing life's end, especially Stephanie Jones as she cares for her grandmother Faye Tomlinson. God, you know all the needs of our hearts, both those that we have disclosed and those that remain unspoken. We thank you for loving us and for calling us to share that great love with one another. And now, confident that we are indeed beloved children of God, we join our voices together in the common prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Thank you for joining in this time of online worship from First United Methodist Church in Pasadena, California. We are glad that you're here this morning, and I remind you that this service, as well as all of our services, are available on our YouTube page to watch again or to share with others. When you subscribe there, you can receive free notifications of all of our future events. Please download this week's bulletin if you have not already had a chance to do so. In it, you will find details about the church's book group, the next meeting of the United Methodist Women, a training event presented by the North District of our annual conference, and a climate change webinar that's sponsored by the League of Women Voters. It's all in this week's bulletin, so use the link in the video description and get all of the details. Today is Human Relations Sunday. It's a day when our denomination receives one of our special offerings. The Human Relations offering supports community development programs, at-risk teens, and other underserved communities. I encourage you to give to this important work using the church's online giving platform. It may be a link to it may be found in the video description or you can use the donate link that's found at the church's website. We are encouraged by the number of you who have adapted to online giving as a means of making your offerings to sustain the work of our church. You are also welcome of course to mail your general offerings or your Human Relations Sunday gift to the church's mailing address which is on the screen now. Also, remember to use connect at fumcpasadena.org to communicate your prayer requests, your questions, needs, or any other issue to the clergy staff directly. Please stay in touch with us so that we may better serve you. Be safe, be well, and remember, wear your mask.
It is a new day, like the first day, and God is calling us to wake from our slumber. May we listen for the sound of God's voice in the noise and chaos, and may the Spirit equip us to be people who act, driven by compassion, mercy, justice, and love, as we follow Christ into the world. Amen.